Good morning. Well, I've met several of you as you came in, so it's wonderful to meet fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I come just from down the road from Springfield, so not a long drive for me today. But glad to be with you today, and just happy that uh, I would fill in at the last minute. Uh, now, I, I've got some beefs with God about this process, because I, I just preached a couple weeks ago over in Astoria, and I had a sermon I did, and I thought, okay, well, I'll just polish that thing up, and we'll just come in on Sunday. And as soon as I had that thought in my head, God said, no, you're not going to preach that. I said, okay, God, what? And he said, no, you're going to preach on prayer. I said, okay, God, I, I did that for a year in my last church that I was in in Tuscola, Illinois, so I've got lots of sermons on prayer. Which one do you want me to preach? No, you're not going to preach any of those. Okay, God, so what do you want me to do? Write another one. Okay, fine. So you get to hear some fresh material today, and hopefully it's beneficial to you. Before we start, let's go ahead and pray together. Okay, I didn't tell you to bow your heads. I didn't tell you to close your eyes either. I want you to look at me. Let's pray together. Father God, we're just grateful that we can be here together. We're grateful that we can be together today to look into your word. Because your word is holy. Your word is perfect. Your word is good. And we want to know your word. And we want your spirit to be present with us today as a group of believers looking into your word. To motivate us, to inspire us, and to bring us hope and to challenge us. God, this is what we pray in your son Jesus' name. And we all say, amen. You know, most of us learned how to pray in children's church, if we had been in church that long. And what they did with us in children's church, now I don't know if you did this, this was my experience growing up in the church. If we didn't close our eyes, we were looking around at the other kids. If we didn't fold our hands, well, my hands kind of wandered a little bit and I'd be poking the kid next to me. And, and, and a lot of us learned how to pray in that way. And so sometimes we have to challenge what we've always known in order to get to learn what we need to learn. So today we're going to talk about what it means to be a prayer-formed community. What does it mean to be a prayer-formed community? Now I want you to think, how many of you guys are sports fans? You, you, guys, you guys like sports? Okay, we got some sports people here. Um, and I mean, and I know we got a band director here. I mean, you, you know, anybody guys play play in band or in instruments at some point in your life? Okay, okay. So, so we got some musicians in here. How many of you guys worked on a job with more than one person? You guys work together to make something? Okay, okay. So, we, so we got most of the room that's experienced one of those couple things, because the important thing is, is we all have to work together in those settings, and. When we work together, when we have common things in place, things go better for us, right? Now, I was trying to think of what, could we, what I could talk about that would be an equalizer for all of these areas, because not all of us have had these same experiences. Now, how many of you guys played Red Rover as a kid? Anybody? anybody okay, we've got some Red Rover players. Okay, all right. Now, this is the craziest game I think that's ever been invented, because this string of kids stands on one side with their hand, holding hands, right? I and mean, we're all holding hands. And then we yell Red Rover, and we look across the way, and we try to think of the smallest person possible so that they don't get through our arms, right? So they're running through, they're running fast, they're trying to get through our arms, and then they get added to our line. But if we were thinking, that's the weak link. I mean, now we've got the smallest person from their side holding hands with us. I mean, it's just, I mean, but you notice that game kind of dies at elementary school? I mean, I'm looking around the congregation today, I think if we were to play Red Rover today, there's a couple guys I'd want on my side not coming at me. Am I right? I mean, there's a few guys. Yeah, yeah, I see a guy back there. I mean, we got some people thinking about this. 
mean, if we're going to run at each other, I mean, there's some people I don't want to see coming at me, right? But the problem is, is this game was, was created for kids to have some fun. And I mean, I, I don't know if there were any injuries in, in that game. I assume there were probably a few over the years. But we created this game and this idea that, you know, we can hold together and, and hold together strong so that we don't let people through our line. And so as I started thinking about our sermon for today, how are we going to talk about prayer? How are we going to bring this together? How are we going to think about what is a prayer-formed community? I started wondering, what, I mean, where does the Bible talk about prayer? And if you haven't read through it recently, it talks about it just about everywhere. And, and I started thinking about a verse. It's an easy verse to get off with when you talk about prayer. And I'm just going to go to 1 Timothy 5.17, one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Two words, pray continually. So that one's easy and God said, no, you can't preach on that text because that's not going to do it for you. And so I started praying. I started asking God, well, if I'm going to talk about prayer, I need a text to, to base this in, to think about. And the one that I found was in um, Ephesians 6. And if you, if, you have, if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10, I'm going to be reading out the New International Version. So if you've got one of those digital, digital ones that you can change back and forth, uh, NIV is what I'll be reading out of. It'll be on the screen here as well. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, we have a very familiar passage. And it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. So the whole purpose of this is to stand. If you didn't miss it, he said stand so many times. Our whole purpose is to stand firm. He identifies our our adversary, he says it's not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces of evil. And then he gives us what we need to do. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, we could spend a long time dissecting all of this text. I mean, sermons have been preached on each piece of the armor. Commentaries have been written on every piece of that section. And, you know, as I studied it, it, you know, kind of, it was very interesting because a lot of this is pictured out of the Roman legion. Now, if you've never studied the Roman legion, it's very intriguing because these soldiers would all have this, this gear and they would have this custom-fit gear that they had. They had their helmet. They had their, their um, loin belt, which was kind of like undergarments. They had a skirt of leather. They had a breastplate. They had a, uh, two different tunics that they wore, one inside and one outside for cold weather. They had greaves that went over their, their shins and feet. They had a special kind of uh, sandal that actually was more like a football spike. They could actually put uh, nails into it so they could walk across uh, marshy ground. They had all of this armor that they wore, not to mention they had this huge shield. Now, the shield would have been somewhere around four feet tall and about two and a half to three feet wide. And they would hold it like this. And this was a shield that would cover up most of their body when they ducked down. 
And then they also had their short sword, which would have been on their hip, and they had a javelin that they would carry. And they had all of this equipment that, they, that anyone in the Roman Empire would have known about. Because this was one of the most advanced militaries to come through. As a matter of fact, most militaries since then have actually patterned themselves after the Roman Legion. Because these guys would all have these shields, and they would actually link together. So picture like a, a big uh, Red Rover kind of a thing. Only they've got shields in front of them. They basically link together, and then the guys right behind them would put their shields over their head and create this wall to take away the attacks from other people. So when Paul writes this to this church in Ephesus, he's writing to people who have seen this army, who have seen them in battle, who would have known these things. But what's interesting is they would have also known that there were pieces missing to this to understand that this is not talking about military service. This is not about military service in Rome. Because what did Paul say? This is not against flesh and blood. Now, church, I think sometimes we, get, we forget that our battle is not against other people. We get caught up in things that are surface-level things. And I don't want to step on too many toes today, but I'm going to name a few. And if I step on your toes, I'm sorry. We'll get through it, I hope. I'm only here for a week. But, see, I think we've become unaware of Satan's schemes. See, Satan's scheme is not abortion. It's the underlying principles below abortion. The things that led to the fact that people want to have an abortion. It's not about LGBTQA and what other, other plus letters that they add to that. It's about the underlying principles and things underneath that that go much deeper than their surface choices of what they're doing today. It's not about whatever other topic you want to bring up today is a hot-button topic. It's not about conservative. It's not about liberal. It's not about politics. It's not about any of those pieces. Those are surface-level things that are symptomatic of Satan's real ploys. Now, am I for any or all of those things? Not necessarily. But we get distracted, church, when we focus just on those issues. We miss the real battle. Because what we end up doing is battling with each other. Because if I have an opinion about one thing and you have a differing opinion, and we start talking, then we become the issue. And, oh, just get, let's get on social media, and we can, we can all have an opinion, right? Get on Facebook, and we can argue about all of these things on every side and have people get, get offended that we would have that opinion, right? Because we've turned this battle from a battle against the spiritual authorities into a battle against each other. And Satan smiles when we miss where we're actually fighting. It's a distraction. Our battle is for the souls of human beings. It's not about our opinions. This is about God's word. And so if we go quickly through the armor, it's very quick. I mean, we have the belt of truth. Now, truth, we, we, a lot of us, like, especially in the Christian church and our um, churches are very word-centric, like to talk about the truth of God's word. That's not what he's talking about there. He's talking about loyalty and faithfulness. He's talking about loyalty and faithfulness. So the first thing we have to have is loyalty. 
Then he talks about the shield of faith. So we have to have faith. We've got the breastplate of righteousness, the right living, living by God's, word, by God's commands. We've got the helmet of salvation, which is given to us by God. And we have the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, which it's interesting. We're in a battle, and we've got feet covered in peace. And, that, and the, the commentators talk about this and say, you know, this is about the contradiction between we're in this battle, but we have peace through God. And there's this uneasy tension here. And again, we could spend a whole time, our whole time just on the armor, but where I really want to get, and the part that, we, that a, lot of, a lot of times gets excluded from this, some people want to include it, some people don't, but verse 18 says this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, some people say that the prayer is the, the final weapon. I don't think it is, because prayer is what ties all of these things together. If we're going to fight a spiritual battle, then we have to have spiritual power. If we don't have spiritual power, we can't fight this battle. And so this really is where it comes down to how are we going to fight together to pray? And see, we've turned prayer into a very private matter. And prayer is partially a private matter. But if we're going to become a prayer-formed community, then we first have to become a prayer-formed individual. If prayer is an important part of our formation, who we are, what we're becoming, then we can't join together with the people next to us. We become the weakest link in the Red Rover line. We're the one that gets called out every time. We're the one that gets called over, and, and everybody goes, yep, I expected them to pick them. See, Satan loves to call the weakest links. He loves to call the people who aren't forming through prayer. See, we've got all these other tools, and we've got salvation. But God is calling us to this type of prayer that's forming us, building us, changing us, altering us. Because prayer does so much for us. So in my short time of preparation this week, I made some phone calls to some friends. Because I said, you know, and some of them were pastors, some of them were family members, some of them were good longtime friends. And I just said to them, I said, what are the top three things that you struggle with in prayer? And I was amazed that most of them had a very similar list. And so I'm curious this morning, when you think, if you were to think about the number one thing you struggle with in prayer, not, not what you pray about, but, you know, praying itself, what would it be? What would the number one thing be? Go ahead, somebody, somebody give, give me an answer. Okay, so you pray for family, yep. But what, what is the thing you struggle with with praying itself? Doing it, okay. So just the habit of doing it, okay. Finding the time, okay. Others? Repetition, okay. How, am I praying too much? Am I saying the, saying the same? Okay, God's getting tired of hearing the same things. Okay, what else? Distraction, okay. Others? Say it one more time. 
Health, okay, yep. All right. Anybody else? Praying out loud, okay, yep. Yeah. And, you know, and the thing is, is what you guys just shared is pretty much what my friends shared. Believe it or not, we all struggle with the same things. So I'm going to go through some of the ones that, I, that I've thought through, many of the ones that you've already talked about. But distractions seem to be one of the big ones that a lot of people talk about. There's just so much going on. And so we get distracted so easily. And, you know, years ago I was at a conference. I got to hear a lady named Becky Tirabasi. Now, if you're taking notes, that's T-I-R-A-B-A-S-S-I, Tirabasi. And Becky Tirabasi spoke, and she has this incredible testimony of how she came to salvation. But she introduced us to a tool. And I brought it with me today. This is the uh, par prayer partner, uh, partner prayer work notebook. And you can get this online. Uh, Becky sells it on her website, beckytirabasi.com. It's that easy. And it just is set up in sections. And she said every, she, she had struggled with distraction. And so she created a system where she could write her prayers. And so each section has a point. She writes a, a word of praise every day. Then she goes in and she confesses. She admits every day. Then she presents her requests every day. Then she moves in and she gives thanks every day. Then she spends time listening every day. She spends time listening to messages, what God's saying. She reads the New Testament, records thoughts from that. She reads the Old Testament, records thoughts from that. And then she reads Proverb every day. And so that's just one system, and there's plenty of them out there. But she wrote her prayers to deal with her distractions. And if you find yourself being distracted in prayer, get a journal, get a notebook, and just write down your prayers. Spend time just writing them down. No one else has to see them. Okay? You can write it, you can write as simply as you want, as, as quickly as you want. Nobody's got to read your penmanship. Okay, this isn't a handwriting test. This is just about staying focused. Some people say, well, I don't even know what to say. What would I say to God? How do, how do I actually go about praying? And, you know, this has been something the church has tried to address for decades. And there are all kinds of tools out there. Um, there are even prayer books written for you to be able to write through prayers. Now, if any of you, have you guys gone through like the Daily Bread or um, I mean, even the Christian Standard has some devotionals out and different things, but at the end of the devotion, they have a written prayer. If you don't know where to start, you can say that. But one of my favorite things is to actually work through the Psalms. If you don't know how to pray, the Psalms is a prayer book. You read through the Psalm and you pray that Psalm, the pr Psalms go through every human emotion known to man. I mean, every emotion that we can experience, it's in the Psalms. There is anger, there is bitterness, there is doubt, there's joy, there's sadness, there's devastation. I mean, you name an emotion, it is in the Psalms, and some songwriter, David or one of the other psalmists, have written it about it and expressed it. If you read through a psalm every day for a year, you would express every emotion that you could possibly have expressed in prayer. Some people say, okay, we, you know, it's too, I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. Well, I don't know about you, but I use this thing a lot. You, you, guys, you guys gotten in the habit of using this? <laughs> Unfortunately, some of us go, oh, I hate the stupid thing, but yes, I use one. 
And some of you have more of a, a planner that might look like this or a calendar. I mean, I don't know, my mom has one of those purse prop calendars, you know what I'm talking about? The ones that you, the little ones. Well, she puts all her important appointments on her calendar. I put all my important, important um, appointments on my phone calendar. If you're going to make appointments with your doctor, at work, with friends and family, why couldn't you put an appointment in that calendar for God? Becky Tiribasi's been running 40 years straight, spending an hour with God going through this book. That's what she decided to do, and she said she's missed one day in 40 years. Because she, the day before, says, I'm going to get up at 6 a.m., and I'm going to spend an hour with God. Oh, I've got a 6 a.m. appointment tomorrow, then I'm going to spend it at 8 a.m. She sets that appointment every day, and as the years have gone through, she's gotten more and more consistent. Every morning, that's what I do. I wake up, and that's my, that's my time. That's when I spend time with God. Now, there's mornings I get up a little bit later than I planned, and so my time gets crunched sometimes, but I try to spend time every morning with God. And so putting that time in, we, we spend so much time doing so many things, and so setting that appointment. Well, then I've met people who, who say, well, you know, what I've gone through is really not that big a deal. There's people struggling with cancer. There's people who are, who've lost loved ones. There's people who are, you know, dealing with all of these big issues. I mean, their families going through awful things or relationships. And this is just little old me. I don't really have that much going on. You know, how many of you, when you've been asked about a prayer request, have said, uh, oh, I'm good? Yeah, I've been there. You know, my, my stuff's just not that important. And yet, when Jesus taught us how to pray, if you remember that, that prayer that, we, that we've learned, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it in, is in heaven. Give us this day what? Our daily bread. Now, when's the last time that you legitimately prayed that God would just give you bread today. That seems pretty simple, doesn't it? It seems pretty basic. And that's in the one that God, Jesus told us to model ourselves after. If Jesus told us to pray for something that simple, I don't think there's too much else that's off the table. When I was at the, the executive director at the Washington Street Mission for a few years, I was, um, we, we tried very hard to turn the mission into a prayer-formed community. Because I said, if we're going to help these people, we have to pray for them. Because God is the only one that is truly able to transform lives. And so we started out with a prayer wall. We put a big, big board on the, in the prominent place in our chapel where they could just put sticky notes on the prayer wall and share their prayer requests. Now, some people did, some people didn't. I said, it's not enough. People aren't using it. We need to ask the individuals who are coming into our building what they want to be prayed for. And so we would walk around every uh, Wednesday or Thursday, and we would ask every individual, so sometimes hundreds of people coming through our building, if we could pray for them. Some of them said yes, some of them said no, but many of them shared a prayer request, and so we created a prayer list that we started emailing out to our supporting churches, that we emailed out to the entire Dominican Sister International Network, uh, thousands of nuns across the, across the globe, 
We started sending out to individuals who were supporters of ours, of uh, volunteers, of staff. We built a group of prayer warriors that were praying weekly for the mission. And what I saw was things started changing. The number of fights went down in the building. The attitudes of the people changed. And you'd think we would go, oh, okay, that's just the prayer. And we're just like, what are we doing right? And it's like, oh, yeah, we're praying. So one of my favorite stories, I started doing prayer experiments at the mission. I said, okay, God, if you want me to pray more, I'm going to pray while I'm in the building. I'm going to pray for people. And one day a guy walks in. Now, he's one of the guys that was not my favorite type of person in the mission. He was one of the abusers, okay? He was somebody who sold drugs, who... Um, took advantage of some of the most, most unfortunate people in our building. And it was hard to know what to do with those individuals because they had, we, we didn't close the building to anybody. Anybody could come in. And so we tried to protect people from them. Well, he came in one day, and he had one of those boom cannon stereos. Have you guys seen those? I mean, they're like, they look like this big tube with a speaker all the way around. And this guy walks in, and he turns that thing up. It's shaking the walls of the mission. I mean, th think about a room about twice this size, and it's shaking the, ro the room. And, I, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this can't, I mean, I can't even hear myself think. This is way too loud. So I go and ask him to turn it down. He tells me, no. I said, okay. And he's playing music that I didn't want to hear either. We won't go into what he was playing. But, and, and so I sat down kind of defeated. I'm like, okay, God, I, I, you know, I don't know what to do. About two minutes later, he gets a phone call, and he leaves with his music. Oh, interesting. Okay, God, was that an answer to my prayer? So next day, he walks in, turns that thing up just as loud. I'm like, okay, God, I can't handle this. And about a minute later, beep, 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 low battery, please charge now. Thing died. I thought, okay, God, I'm liking this. Is this okay? Well, the third time is my favorite because he walks in. And, I mean, there are literally five people left in the building. It's a closing time. Four people are playing cards. One guy's watching them play cards with me. And they're getting ready to leave the building. This guy walks in, literally 10 minutes left of our day. He turns that thing up loud, and I knew it could go. I mean, our, I could hear the w windows rattling. Okay, this is how loud this is. I thought, God, why now? As soon as I, those, that prayer left my mouth, this guy standing next to me, his name was Dana. He, it's like a jolt of lightning hit this man. He goes, he can't be playing that kind of music in here. I'm going to go tell him to turn it off. He walks over, tells him to turn it off, and he does. And why did God care about a stereo at the Washington Street Mission? I don't know. But he's teaching me about prayer. He's teaching me there's not anything too small for prayer. And, you know, I could tell you so many other stories. I, I want to wrap up today. But the thing is, if we're going to become a prayer-formed community, we've got to get past the fear of praying. We've got to get past the, I'll do it if I have time. Because if this is part of who we are, this is part of us being the strongest part of, of our church, then we have got to learn to be a prayer-formed community. Fill the prayer-formed, boy, get all that out, individuals. 
we need to learn to pray. And tools like this have helped me learn. I, I started with this in 2014, went through it for about five years, and then I've changed, changed my ritual a little bit to uh, fit my need a little bit better. But we need people who are shaping themselves in prayer, forming themselves in prayer, thinking about prayer. Our community needs to be a place where each of us steps into praying for one another because prayers make a difference. Let me close with this story. I have a friend who's a pastor down in Tennessee, and he asked me to pray for his daughter. His daughter's adopted, and in the first two years of her life, she was never touched. And so she has an affection disorder as a result that is nearly incurable because those first two years are so critical that, she, I mean, most, most people don't, don't, survive, don't come out well from it. And he and his wife have loved that girl to, to the, the nth degree. They've, I mean, they've done everything they can, but they're still seeing the effects of those first two years come out. And they really struggled as she became a teenager. And he reached out to me and a couple other friends and just said, we, you know, here's what's going on. He, says, so had to, he, he just kind of spilled everything to me. I said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for her. And so I committed daily to pray for her. And I started praying. And every time I would talk with him, I'd ask, how is she doing? And he'd say, well, you know, this happened, and so I'd pray harder. And then this would happen, and I'd say, I'll pray, and I'd pray harder. Well, and as, as, we, as we went through, I mean, I didn't ask him. I didn't give him advice. I didn't tell him. Like, I, I didn't know what to tell him about, about this situation. So I just kept praying. Well, then she started studying with a group of ladies to consider Christianity, consider putting her faith in Jesus. And he said, well, pray about this. And I started praying about that. And this spring, she was actually baptized, accepted Jesus into her life. And now she's starting to choose to live differently. Now, I can't say that my daily prayers were, were the instigator that changed that situation. I know that my prayers coupled with the other people who are praying for that young woman brought her to a place of salvation. And I wonder who in your circles needs to be praying. Because the days I didn't pray for her, those were the worst reports I got from my friend. Those are the days where she had rough days. So I prayed harder. And it's not about you know, how many times we bring something. I prayed for over a year and a half for her, almost on a daily basis. God wants to hear what we have to say. God wants to know what's on our hearts and minds. Guys, let's become prayer-formed people in a prayer-formed church that transforms through the power of prayer. Will you pray with me? Father God, we're just grateful that you are here today. We're grateful that you have worked so diligently in our lives. We're grateful for each person that's here, and Lord, we're thankful for the prayers that they've offered. We're thankful for the prayers that are going to be offered in the days to come, because we know that you are doing incredible work to make us empowered by your Spirit to do your work. Lord, we love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.